0: Hey guys, it's The Practical Idealist. I'm Destry. And I'm Katie. And today we are talking about Disney.
1: We needed to do a little prelude to a series that we're going to get started in which we are going to go through all of the major Disney animated movies. We're going to give each of them an individual rating, and then we're going to talk about them by the decade. But first, before we get into all of that, and we'll talk more about how we're going to break it down and what movies we're going to watch in what order at the end but first I kind of wanted to talk about our experiences with Disney because you're a little bit of a Disney freak and honestly I probably hadn't watched half of the movies that you had by the time I met you. There were movies that you pulled out and shorts that you pulled out that I had never even heard of before. So what is your first memory of a Disney movie or like the first Disney movie that you've ever watched?
0: I have a different way of answering that question. That's fair. Because you asked me that last night and you asked me to think about it. And I don't really know. But I do have, and this is video proof, <clears throat> by the way. Heep. When I was about, I would say, under five. I'm standing in front of the TV. And I was watching Fantasia and also directing it.
1: Like conducting? Yes. Oh my god, that's so cute!
0: <laughs> so that is technically my first... Quote unquote, memory of a Disney movie?
1: My first memory is do you remember the drive in movies, Destry?
0: I certainly do.
1: (laughs) I remember being in my dad's old gray truck, which you never saw. I remember sitting on top of the cab, like on the roof of the cab, and watching Pocahontas dive off of the uh, waterfall. I don't even know how old I was. I must have been really, really little because I think it was still the same year that Pocahontas came out.
0: 95 96 I so think. yeah and
1: probably two or three then and i just have this very vivid memory of of seeing that scene on that giant screen outside and it was all dark but i have lots of memories of many hours spent
0: watching and crying over
1: watching and crying over disney movies <laughs> so anyway
0: i just remember my cousin getting the vhs release of Pocahontas. Before I did. Oh, no. Which majorly pissed me off because I was the one that had the Pocahontas-themed birthday party.
1: Oh, no, you didn't.
0: I certainly did.
1: But I feel like for our generation and for lots of kids, Disney was kind of the thing that you grew up watching. And not even just the movies. Like, I remember watching, not Disney Channel because I didn't have cable, but you know how, like, on Saturday morning, they would have, like, that little Disney section of cartoons? Mm -hmm. I remember watching that, and I remember seeing live-action movies made by Disney, too. But for some reason, like, these animated princess movies specifically for me because, you know, that was the culture that... I was born into were things that completely drew me in. The other thing that really drew me in was the music. Mm -hmm. And I realized later that Disney music was kind of a gateway drug to me for the Broadway music that I would become so obsessed with because I remember. Going to the library and checking out soundtracks of Disney movies and just memorizing these songs. Because, of course, that's what you do when you're a kid. (laughs) And then I remember finding...
0: Sports. Never mind sports. What are
1: sports?
0: Friends. What are friends? I was homeschooled. Disney movie soundtracks. Now that's where the ticket is. I was homeschooled.
1: I didn't have friends. (laughs) But I remember getting the soundtrack to The Lion King, the Broadway soundtrack of The Lion King. And, like, I think I got it by accident. Like, I didn't realize that wasn't just the movie Lion King. Mm-hmm. And I listened to it. I was like, wow, there are, like, different songs in here. And this sounds really cool. So I started looking for things that said on Broadway. And I ended up finding Aida, which very weird soundtrack to find when you're not even a teenager yet. And I found Beauty and the Beast, of course. And so it started off, like, the Disney versions of shows on Broadway. And then I started looking at other things. And that was the first thing that made me go toward, like, story-based
0: music. I think that when you're younger, and especially during the 90s, you get kind of indoctrinated into the Disney Mm. culture and the Disney brand. But I, oddly enough, don't consider that to be where my appreciation for it came from. Really? In my personal experience, I didn't really start appreciating the whole picture until I was in high school and I was rediscovering all of these things. Mm -hmm. But as far as like during like the nineties, like when I was growing up, it was inescapable.
1: Oh yeah. Like it was just everywhere.
0: Like and the the
1: commercials for Disneyland were everywhere. Like I feel like Disneyland commercials were in the previews of every movie Mm -hmm. or at least that's the way it felt.
0: And they used to send out those VHS tapes that were like trip guides. Yeah.
1: I remember that. And then ABC was still really tied with Disney at that point, too. Well, so they had they were... just merged. Oh, they had just merged? Yeah. Okay. So, like, you always saw commercials for things on there, too. It was a very big part of our childhood, specifically, and that was really when Disney was starting to do more live action and, like, television and stuff. Like, we had Which the... is what
0: Michael Eisner was basically sent to do like he was the really yeah, oh yeah
1: because you told me that he was supposed to like bring the teams in or
0: whatever well the that was his crowd. personal mission and when he came in he wanted to get him do away with the animation department completely because it wasn't making any money mm. and it was always over budget and he knew nothing about it and he didn't feel like he could save it mm-hmm. but then jeffrey katzenberg stepped in and said oh well since you won't give me what i want Within like the structure of the company, then I'm gonna make this my my focus, and I'll be the the, the head, head of, of the this. animation. Right, even though he also had absolutely no idea what he was doing either.
1: Which seems to be a running theme in a lot of the history of Disney. <laughs> to be fair, like all cards on the table here, I just recently watched a documentary about the life and times of uh, Walt Disney. I watched the American Experience Walt Disney, which is really, really good. And you should go and find it somewhere. I got mine at my local library. It was really interesting. I came into this not knowing hardly anything about Walt Disney as a man and really Disney as a company. Like I learned most of the stuff that I know from you. And from, you have this appreciation of the book Disney Wars, which is still something I need to read.
0: Almost positive. James B. Stewart?
1: I believe that's what you told me
0: before, yeah. Yeah. But I just have, like, certain particular memories about each movie from Pocahontas on. Like I said, Pocahontas, I remember my Pocahontas-themed birthday. And then with Hunchback, I remember that they merchandised with, like, Burger King, I think it was. I don't yeah. think it was McDonald's. I'm, I'm
1: pretty sure it was Burger King.
0: And they had, like, these little... They weren't, like, plastic figures, but they were, like, little miniature dolls.
1: Yeah, I remember that.
0: And my dad would get those, and then when he would pick me up from school, he would hide them around his truck. <laughs> so I'd have to find what my new hunchback toy was for that day.
1: Aw, that's cute.
0: And then for Hercules, they had these toys where... It was one of the characters encased in one of the monsters. Interesting. So you would like pull the monster apart and you'd have like one of the Hercules characters. So he could fight against the...
1: Nice, the monster. The monster, yeah.
0: (laughs) And then for Milan, I remember going to... And I'm not sure if this was just out of necessity or if my dad planned it this way. But for Milan, we went to like a small little hole in the wall theater... And I remember there being Japanese cherry blossom trees that have all the like pink the
1: flowers and stuff. Mm-hmm.
0: I remember that kind of tying into the whole thing. And then Tarzan, that was the definitive end of the Renaissance. Yeah. I remember not seeing that one in theaters, not getting any of the toys. I remember getting the VHS when it came out. <laughs> And I remember getting a video game on the N64 for it.
1: Oh, I think my sister had a GameCube game. I remember my dad really liking Tarzan because of Phil Collins.
0: Which was the best part of that movie. Yeah. Well,
1: (laughs) and also, I loved this. I don't know. You probably know this already. But Phil Collins sang all of his songs in like five or six different languages. He wanted it to be consistent. Like that, he's like, this is my stuff and I want it to sound the same. I remember watching more of the newer movies, definitely as a kid. Like, I never liked Pinocchio. Mm. I hated Bambi. I hated Fox and the Hound hated Black Cauldron. I don't think I ever really watched Alice in Wonderland. Like, I'm sure I watched it at some point, but it wasn't memorable to me. Cinderella was definitely one I continually came back to, but of course it was. It was Cinderella. I didn't like Snow White. I thought Dumbo was stupid. (laughs) But I remember watching Robin Hood ad nauseum. We definitely had VHSs of most of these movies. Like, we definitely did. I remember that my mom had one of those, like, crates that had the holes all around it. And that's where all the VHSs were. But Aristocats was one of my personal favorites because I liked cats. I remember watching The Great Mouse Stick to a bunch. I think it was because my sister always liked Sherlock Holmes. It was just like always playing. And then, of course, Winnie the Pooh. I watched The Adventures of Winnie the Pooh all the time. (laughs) I don't even think that we had a lot of the Disney princess movies in the house. Like Beauty and the Beast is my mom's all-time favorite movie. So we had that one. Oh, here's a good one. Here's one that will make you laugh. I remember the first DVD we ever got when we first got a DVD player. We like went to the store and my dad got some... Oh, that's what it was. My dad got the original Stargate movie, (laughs) and then we got Little Mermaid 2 on DVD. That was my my first ever movie that I watched on DVD. How about that?
0: (laughs) And you know that back in the, the late 80s, early 90s, that there was like a real big issue with them releasing these movies on VHS. Michael Eisner was almost, like, dead set against it.
1: Because they wanted the income to keep coming from people going to see it in theater, and they wanted to keep re-releasing it, or...?
0: Well, that, and I think that one of his major complaints was he thought that it would lessen the brand if they were readily available to people. Like he liked the idea of re-releasing them in theaters because it was a a limited engagement. So
1: more exclusive.
0: So everybody was going to pack into the theater and pay whatever they had to pay to watch this movie from 10, 15, 30 years ago. Instead of just buying it for $14 and then you have it for life.
1: I don't know if that's a good idea or not because the concept isn't bad. He wanted to turn it into a cult classic essentially. Mm -hmm. Interesting.
0: And so Once they release a couple of like testers, and when they started doing well, he was like, okay, sure, we'll release them, but I'm still going to hold back the ones that I think are important. Okay. Like all the princess movies. Mm -hmm. He was like, well, that was what we based the Disney brand upon, so having those readily available for people to purchase is going to hurt us in the long run.
1: That's an interesting way of thinking about it.
0: But then again, as soon as the money started coming in, he's like,
1: Never mind! Okay,
0: sure. Whatever.
1: And you've always really loved the art.
0: I think it just comes down to being exposed to so many different cartoons and animated movies and stuff when I was younger. Because I was never really a big live-action person.
1: Was there anything in particular about Disney animation that made you keep coming back?
0: I don't think that I really understood and appreciated it for what it was until I was older, I think that that's an odd thing to say.
1: I don't think it is
0: at all. Well, I'll put it this way, is that a lot of people grow into adults where they no longer consider the things that they enjoyed when they were younger as things to return to. Right. They put it in a particular place in time. Mm-hmm. They attribute it to the fact that they were a kid and that they were impressionable and that it it's was not a...
1: enjoyable as an adult
0: right and so they don't go back to it because they're like why should i because the memory i have of it is more important than the actual media right that i was consuming at that point point. and what i think is funny is that right now within the past five or so years has been kind of like a rebirth for and... animation right and it has kind of reinterested older people that never thought to come back to it
1: well isn't that kind of telling though that all of these adult animated shows are suddenly coming to life just as people our age who grew up in the disney renaissance are becoming adults it's kind of showing that we grew up in a time when animation was so important to us as kids, and we had all of these animated movies coming out too, not, like, not just Disney, but
0: other networks too. Especially Nickelodeon. They were kind of the pioneer of the new age of animation within the 90s, and I think that that has influenced people today who are now showrunners for all these newer animated shows because... Back in the 90s, they were geared toward multiple different audiences. So whatever the kids didn't get, the adults got. And I think that when people who were influenced by that to draw or to have a fascination or an interest in animation grew up, they realized that that was like the real formula. There has to be that duality. And if it doesn't do both then it's not really utilizing the medium for everything that it's worth. Which is why I think it's so interesting that especially at the end of the 90s when they were telling Pocahontas and they were telling Hunchback that those movies were not received well because they were kind of integrating themselves into that new culture of, well, we can tell an adult story in a children's medium.
1: That is a really interesting way of putting that. What I didn't realize is how much of an influence Disney had on animation. I knew that animation was more relegated to the pre-movie credits and like little funny slapstick shorts. I didn't realize that he literally created the genre when he made Snow White. That was something that had never even been thought of to do before. No one had thought of making an animated movie that showed any other emotion other than making people laugh. And he wanted to see if he could make someone cry (laughs) with animation because no one thought that it would work. So when he created this movie and suddenly everyone lost it, he literally created a genre out of that, which is crazy to me.
0: And I mean, I think that that's why animation is still so very influential today. It's so very personal because up until Toy Story in 1995 1996, there was no computer-generated anything. It was mostly used for backgrounds and and effects, but it wasn't really utilized within the animation process. Mm -hmm. So every single thing that you see from 1995 all the way back to the dawn of animation was all done by hand by people. Which
1: is a little bit crazy to think about when you watch some of those movies and really consider the fact, like, how many people's hands touched every single tiny second that you are watching.
0: It's emotional to think about Mm -hmm. because you put so much of yourself into what you're doing. It really is a labor of love. When it comes to art, and that was his major conceit, is that if I can make art palatable and popular, then I've done my job.
1: But he was also obsessed with like straddling the line between fine art, mm-hmm. which he also seemed to kind of want to do, oh, definitely. and making it popular at the same time. Like he wanted to make things that were realistic. Like that was something they were saying about Bambi that this was like one of the most impressive modern artistic feats, is that they were taking scenes from nature and turning it into a movie but an animated movie. Yep. So people were going to be a lot more conscious if it looked weird or not, which is why like he had so many like live people coming in. I think it's funny that now we take for granted that there is of course someone live in the studio like helping to do the movements and like doing the voices and stuff, but again, that was something he came up with. He came up with the idea of putting sound to his little animated shorts. They didn't do that before. That's so amazing to me to think that this one guy was just like, this is going to be a pain in the butt, but we're going (laughs) to (laughs) try. And I also think that it's interesting that from the beginning, like not just sound was important, but even from Steamboat Willie, like music was always part of it. Like that was never a question that in all of his work, music took a very strong center point.
0: Which is why I think that he decided that to keep his studio alive during the 40s during and after wartime that he would do those musically charged package movies and i think that that is a good callback to his beginnings mm-hmm. with steamboat willy but did you know that that's not the first appearance of Mickey Mouse?
1: I did know that.
0: Because I think he first appeared in Plain Crazy. I think that that's correct.
1: I've never had a particular connection to Mickey Mouse in general. Just because I didn't find like that core group of characters particularly interesting.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I think that it was just so malleable. Mm-hmm. Like, when you think of Tom and Jerry, or you think of Hanna-Barbera, or you think of Looney Tunes, specifically Looney Tunes, all of those characters... Had particular characterizations. Yeah. During their evolution, they kind of changed a bit, obviously. But once they were pop culture icons of the time, if you were watching a Bugs Bunny short, you a knew what you were Daffy Duck short. There but, wasn't
1: a whole lot of variation.
0: But with Mickey and everybody else,
1: like you know, and you love the character, and you know, like they have a certain core to who they are. But they all had individual personalities. Yeah. And they could do anything with those individual personalities. Mickey
0: was the original Barbie.
1: <laughs> <laughs> it's true though he, he had all of the jobs Yep. and there was just a lot that went into the creation I think of Disney as we know it that I didn't know anything about and I was really fascinated to learn about all of the controversy that like continually surrounded him I didn't know anything about the cartoonist strikes of the 40s I didn't know that he got into fist fights with people <laughs> I didn't know that he was a little bit of a egomaniac, like, obsessive-compulsive perfectionist. Like, there was something very odd about that man. Like, he was obviously a genius. Like, Mm -hmm. a very lucky genius. Right. He got away with a lot more than he probably should have, thanks to his extremely intelligent brother, Roy Disney, who (laughs) does not get nearly enough, like, shout-outs, that poor, poor, poor man, (laughs) who just cleaned up mess after mess after mess and just made things work. Yep. That's one of the things that just blows my mind about his entire story like part of it was the fact that he was just the right man at the right time oh yeah and he just he never gave up no matter how much he had to walk the streets peddling this mickey short Mm -hmm. no matter what he had to do he just he was tenacious he came at a time when people needed to laugh he came at a time when people had money to burn like he just everything he did came at the right time Mm -hmm. so I feel like a lot of his story is just based on sheer dumb luck.
0: Like he is the poster boy for the American dream. He kind
1: of is. That he was this poor kid whose father didn't approve of anything he was doing. And he went to war and he came back and he's like, I have a job waiting for me, but screw that. I'm going to go do what I want to do. And he somehow made it work to his own detriment.
0: Oh, of course. Yeah.
1: But it usually is. Geniuses are rarely perfectly happy.
0: And you were telling me that he was, like, a big product of his time.
1: Oh, he definitely was. Like, it seemed like he was very much a misogynist. Which, big surprise when we're looking at the 40s and 50s there. And he was a casual racist, I would say. It didn't seem like actively, I'm going to attack this specific group. And more like, I'm a white man of this time, which means I hate everyone who is not a white man of this time. Right. Which does not make it any better. Of course not. But it does make sense that he was that way because unfortunately most men were like that during that time.
0: And that was the the information that they had. That was part of, you know, his downfall I think is that he was very much connected to a time that was but also never existed. And he was very concerned about recreating a world that he believed to be true. He wished to be true. Right. And then as things progressed and as time went on and ideals began to change, he was the definition of stuck in his ways.
1: Well, he couldn't handle any criticism. Right. And he was unwilling to take any advice, even from people who were really trying to help him. Like One of the stories that they told in the documentary was about how when he had an idea to move away from European storytelling... And to take an American tall tale and do something with it, which in and of itself is actually a great idea that he yeah. wanted to kind of bring Americana back to America. But instead of choosing something like Paul Bunyan, which he did do, he decided to go with a Song of the South thing. And people were trying to give him advice. Like they were saying that the NAACP, like president, reached out to him and they were like, we don't have a problem with you doing this. We don't have a problem with you taking on the Uncle Remus stuff. But do not perpetuate this myth that all of these enslaved people were just happily singing around.
0: Uh-huh. If
1: this is something you're gonna do, just keep it grounded in reality. And he looked at that and he was like, mm, "Nope." And did exactly <laughs> what he wanted. And then he was like, "Why is everyone so mad? Effing commies!" Like, because uh-huh. everyone was communist, of course, of that time as well. Yep. So like, anyone who disagreed with him wasn't. Just like, okay, well, this person disagrees. It was, you are evil and there is something wrong with you.
0: You're trying to attack my moral superiority. You are
1: trying to attack me personally. You are out to get me. I find him as a person, as someone who straddles the line between insanity and genius. I really think he was walking that line pretty close there, (laughs) particularly at the end. Which is probably halfway due to the fact that he was full of cancer. Oh yeah. just like riddled with cancer. Again, product of his time. I can smoke all the time and nothing will ever happen to me.
0: That goes against my preconceived notion of how the world works, and, and how therefore I work. it must be wrong. But I mean, he did do a lot of really, really important things. And even though some of it was just dumb luck and being in the right place at the right time, I really do think that tenacity was a big part of it. Oh
1: yeah, like he he worked like hell and even when Everyone is telling him you can't do this. There's not money for this. You don't have time for this. He kept working and he kept he kept slave driving his uh his people. He made it out and he produced, which is crazy. Again, it's that's insane. Like, oh, we're over budget. We're we're not gonna make the time schedule, but we're gonna do it anyway.
0: Mm-hmm. I do think that he was one of our last great visionaries. He
1: definitely was.
0: It really had something to do with the fact that he was willing to. Take his ideas for a better future or even sometimes a better past, excluding some of the racier elements of that past in most cases, and utilize the technology and the ability that he and his people possessed to make that true.
1: Or if the technology didn't exist, he would invent invent it. it. He would create it himself. He was like, well, I want this to happen, so let's try doing this. Mm -hmm. In and of itself, like, that is what a visionary does. They create their own utopia. And he, he actually ended up doing that in Disneyland. He literally created a world where he could control every single tiny aspect of it to his specific vision, which is crazily egomaniac. And didn't he, like, used to call himself the king or the the ruler of disneyland or something something
0: like that because yeah. i
1: think like some that people were trying to convince him to run for president and he's like no i'm a king i don't <laughs> need to be president
0: yeah those european ideals sure went out the window didn't they
1: <laughs> and he had an apartment in disneyland too yes. Disney. Mm-hmm. is that something that people tour now or is that like a hotel
0: No, no no i don't think anybody <clears> uses it i think that well this is the story that i've i've heard in Disneyland, he had his own room, and whenever he was there, he would have a candle burning in the window. So now, every night, they have a candle burning in the window. That's
1: him. so nice! That's really cute. So
0: when the park guests were leaving or coming in in the evening, they would know if Walt Disney was actually in the park that day.
1: That's really cool.
0: And with all of the negativity that does surround him, there's a lot to be positive about. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It's saddening to think that if he was more able to hear and comprehend new ways of thinking- New ideals. That he may have been around for much, much longer. He could have been around for Disney World. He could have taken the company in a completely new direction and kept changing the world. But as it was, in the book Disney War, they talk about how once they built Disney World, there was nothing else. They went by his exact specifications, and they built it exactly the way that he wanted to, and then they left it.
1: I thought it was also interesting to learn that while he wasn't taking care of his like body, essentially, mm-hmm. and he wasn't listening to modern medical technology, he had a mental breakdown right after his wife had a miscarriage. And he like took some time off, took a vacation, and when he came back, he had this whole new regiment of eating differently and exercising and it was like he he took mental health fairly seriously which is weird to me because especially at that time like mental health no one needs mental health well
0: that was one of his things though is that he whenever things got too much he would just take three months off and just let somebody else deal with the mess yeah
1: like during the uh the cartoonist strike he literally disappeared i think it was for three months in south america or something and just like, hey, Roy, go deal with this.
0: And that was what, 1940 something?
1: That was 41, I believe. Okay. That's why yeah, he 41. sent everybody
0: back down for Saludos Amigos and the Three Caballeros to film and animate.
1: That's so weird. Mm-hmm. So you have been to Disney World? Yes. You've been to Disney World, not Disneyland. Mm-hmm. I have never been to a Disney park. <laughs> you no, know, my family just didn't like amusement parks. I was in my teens i think before i went to even king's island for the first time
0: mm-hmm.
1: so was disney world a transformative experience for you as it has been for so many people
0: <laughs> i think that i was just the right age for it but once again i do think that i was a little bit younger than i should have been to really create a snapshot <laughs> in my mind of it
1: how old were you
0: oh god it was <laughs> it was right after the terrorist attacks.
1: So it was around 2001.
0: Yeah, 2001, 2002. And we went to both that and Universal Islands of Adventure. So I remember going to Disney and I kept thinking that every time that we hit a gate, that that was the opening Ah. to the park.
1: Well, hang on. Before you continue that story, did your parents give you like one of those commercial moments, yes. like "We're going to Disney World"?
0: Yep. You did. Mm-hmm. You
1: had one of the moments.
0: Yep they uh, They ordered the the tickets along with like the, the tour video. Oh, fun! And I think they gave it to me for my birthday. Um, so I remember walking into the park. And every single time we hit a gate, is this the opening to the, no, it, <laughs> and it never was. There's like 17,000 fucking gates. And to a child, that's like some cock blocking shit. Like It's is like, the worst. Oh my God, I'm so excited for another gate. Oh my God, I'm so excited for another gate. And <laughs> It's just. It You're already in... emotioned out by the time you yeah, uh-huh. to the Park. Which is exactly why I think what happened happened. Whoever's idea it was. To once you walk into the park, and you know sight lines were very important to Walt. The way that he designed the park, the first thing you see is that castle. In my memory, it was off to the left side, like vaguely to the left. So when you walk through the actual gate, finally they have a little street there. What they didn't tell me was that there's a ever so slight step down from the entry platform onto Main Street.
1: <laughs>
0: so. Me being, like, 9, 10, 11 years old, wasn't watching what I was doing, where I was going. I was just looking at the big fucking castle.
1: Because you just walked into Disney World. And
0: that was the point. So, of course, you're like, holy shit, it's a castle. And then my next thought was, holy shit, I'm on the ground. (laughs) (laughs) Because I fell off the step. Oh... And skin my knee. That oh. is my first memory of Walt Disney World. <laughs> so we finally get up there and they have their little opening ceremony. And then, I'm not sure if they still do this, but they parsed <clears throat> everybody into queue lines.
1: For character meet and greets. Yes.
0: And they had multiple different characters, some fur characters, some face characters. Of course I get into the line with Mickey. And I think that I had either like a little autograph book or I had like an old Mickey Mouse book. I'm waiting in line for my turn to go see Mickey and I'm getting slightly more anxious. I was a very shy, like reserved kind of child. I finally get there and Mickey is usually about six feet tall. I'm about four eight <laughs> <laughs> at this point looking up at this six foot tall mouse.
1: You're like, you're really big. Yeah.
0: So <laughs> I spend like a full minute fumbling around with my autograph book and Mickey is just kind of like, Staring down at me like blankly What the hell's wrong with this kid? <laughs> my mother from the line was telling me to like say something to him and I just couldn't speak. Oh. And so finally I was able to coordinate my limbs enough to hand him the autograph book and the pen at the same time. Cause it was one or the other. Like I uh-huh. like he would reach for the pen and I give him the book. He'd reach for the book and I give him the pen. So it was a full minute of his yeah, phone. Yeah. And so finally He signs the damn thing and he gives me a hug. We take a fucking picture, and then for the rest of the day, I'm just in a fucking daze. Like, I'll just be honest (laughs) with you. Like, hurt myself. I was scared by a six foot fucking mouse. (laughs) So now I'm just not existing anymore. (laughs) That's
1: so funny. in other words what you're telling me is disney world traumatized oh yeah
0: definitely <laughs> in the best possible way but still Aww. traumatized.
1: <laughs> but, do you have any other memories from disney world like any particular rides that you actually remember being on or
0: it was a weird trip and i think it was just because i was so young mm-hmm. and there was so many people there so it was mm-hmm. a very mixed bag i remember going on like, a couple of rides. I remember going on, like, the Dumbo. I remember going on the Snow White dark ride. The most vivid memory that I have is the extraterrestrial alien encounter. We had no idea what the hell that was. And, of course, me just starting to get into, like, the, the horror movie phase of my life. was like, hey, that looks interesting. Let's go there. And it was fucking terrifying. I should not have gone on that ride. But it was mostly sightseeing. Like, honestly, it was just going between the different worlds within the and park. And just seeing it. I didn't really do a lot of meet and greets. I didn't really do a lot of rides.
1: I'm sure I... the lines were so bad that it wouldn't have really been worth doing anyway.
0: Yeah. I remember going to, like, the Toontown section and going through Mickey and Minnie's house <clears> and meeting them there again. I think I got Donald's autograph somewhere and Goofy's autograph somewhere. I rode the the tune like Goofy's tune coaster or something (laughs) like that. And I remember the parade. We got like front row seats for it. And it was the night one. So it had all the lights and stuff like that. And they were all coming right past and everything. That must have been special. Honestly, that was my favorite part.
1: Yeah. I feel like it wouldn't be as meaningful to me now as an adult as it would be if I had gone as a kid.
0: Well, as an adult, I think it's probably better to go to Disneyland. Okay. I think that you would probably get more out of it. More of the history. Yeah, exactly.
1: I think I could agree to that.
0: And Disney World is like current Disney World. It's really the product of Michael Eisner's time.
1: Unless Walt Disney himself.
0: You get most of the feeling of the Disney company as the Disney company Mm -hmm. from Walt Disney World as opposed to Walt Disney's Disneyland. Yeah. So if I say the word Disney, what does that conjure in your mind?
1: Me sitting in my backyard with my CD player, singing along to Disney music on my swing set. (laughs) Because that's what I used to do. And of course, later on, I I realized that all of the singers were imports from Broadway. Yeah. I really do feel like that music had more influence on me than really anything else has. And my mom has always said that whoever you grow up listening to that's who your voice like your singing voice sounds like Mm -hmm. and you've always told me that i have like a disney princess singing voice when i just start singing naturally right i think that's really true that that was the only music i listened to growing up i didn't have the exposure to a lot of different types of music like you did but even if i wasn't the biggest fans of the movies themselves i still can remember every word to every disney song i've ever listened to
0: it was inescapable and i think it still is to a certain extent and I'm glad that, that they've come back around because, like, mm-hmm. Disney was was on the outs. They finished their traditional animation department. They started doing the digital stuff with Chicken Little, Meet the Robinses. None of that went really well. And then they, you know, started back again with Princess and the Frog when John Lasseter became the head studio guy for both Pixar and the Walt Disney Animation Studios. And then Tangled and Frozen were the first two, like, really big successes. That
1: brought it back. Right. And interesting how all of those movies that you just mentioned really are products of their time, too. Like, you see a definite veering away from the standard, like, Disney princess model. And you see it coming back like they have a black Disney princess who is very much a uh, an independent woman who's working for her worth. And with Tangled, even, you see someone who doesn't need a man who is super kind and just likes having people around her. And then even with Frozen, like you don't you have a love story but it isn't the major component of the story.
0: Uh, not even close. Not
1: even close, it's just like, oh, by the way, we also have a guy who likes to fuck reindeer in here <laughs> And he also happens to like to grab boobs apparently by that still that everyone shows. Oh, You've goodness. seen that right mm-hmm. So like you you have a little bit of a love story in there because of course you do, but' it's, that's not what this is about.
0: Do you think that it is possible to separate Walt Disney from the Disney company?
1: I think they pretty much have done that, haven't they? It seems to me that ever since his death, they have moved further and further away from what he set this company up to be. Like He had a very specific set of moral ideals. He had an idea of what the company was supposed to stand for and of this imaginative, clean, like, pristine vision of everything that he was doing that kept the world away and let kids be kids, Mm -hmm. which isn't necessarily what Disney has stopped doing. No. But but they've definitely learned to change with the times, and they've progressed into an era where looking at things like uh, Inside Out Mm-hmm. They talk about things that are hard. They let their characters deal with bad things happen to them.
0: They let fantastical meet reality instead yeah. of let fantastical overtake and or overcome yeah, reality. Yeah, they, they
1: let their characters feel things, but they also let the characters work their way out of it without it just being like, and suddenly, like... Through Snow, magic and yeah, love and trust. no White is dead, but luckily a man is kissing her and it's all right now. It turns into... Something bad has happened and now I get to change something. I get to change or like I am going to do something to end this problem. I am. I am going to save things myself. And I feel like that's not necessarily something that Disney would have, I don't know if approved is the right word, but I don't think that that would have been like him going, yes, that's the way that story should have gone. Right. So I think that they've recognized the fact that the company has to allow its It's shows to progress with the times and to meet people where they're at now, not turning it into an idealized version of what they wish everything could be.
0: And do you think that there's a way to reconcile Walt Disney with the current Disney company?
1: Well, I think that taking his morals out of it, the basic idea that he wanted was for kids to have a safe place That they could just be kids and not have to worry about the world outside and how scary it was and how growing up was a scary thing to do and where families could feel like they were comfortable taking their kids somewhere that was going to be clean and nice and where they could just have family time. That was something that really mattered to him. He Mm -hmm. loved his kids. He loved his family. And I think that Disney World and Disneyland really are those places despite the drug activity and the gang activity that you hear about. (laughs) Disney also created a customer service model. That was something I learned working at the uh, museum that I worked at. Mm -hmm. How it's a culture of always giving a guest what they need, but also making everything about the experience a positive, beautiful one. Mm -hmm. Like the fact that he tailored the garbage cans to the different zones, like the frontier garbage cans were different than the Fantasyland ones. It's that attention to detail that I think still definitely exists. And that is part of his vision, making that, that zone for kids.
0: And I think that in a lot of ways, his vision has morphed and changed into something that almost means a little bit more. They have been able to find a compromise between the fun fantasy, magic aspect of what he brought.
1: Yeah.
0: And the reality of what children are actually facing.
1: And it's also about recognizing when something hasn't aged well. And seeing parts of the older things that don't fit with this time. But also being okay with the fact that they exist. Right. But yeah, I agree with you. Like, I think that a lot of the modern Disney movies deal more strongly with like not just the joke that all Disney parents are dead but they actually deal with that like what does it mean to lose a parent what does mm-hmm. it mean to be on your own and be sad and they, they let kids feel that and they let them know it's okay to feel that which is definitely not something you would have seen in the past You like you feel the moments of sadness but after that you're like well that's over now like Bambi's mom died and you have that pure agonizing moment but then you just you kind of move on from it
0: It just makes it more accessible to so many other different types of people. Absolutely. Like you don't have to be the transparent nuclear family. They accept that there's all different types of families, all different types of children, all different types of people of different abilities and different races and different upbringings. And they're trying to bring... All of those ideals together so that everyone is included
1: it challenges what animated movies are considered or have been considered up until this point which also kind of is the point that walt was trying to get through the animation can do so much more than people gave it credit for so in that aspect too i think that that is really on par with who he was intrinsically i think that he was always pushing the envelope always trying something new, always doing something different. And Disney as a company definitely has continued to do that. It's continued to change the way business is done. Whether that's a good or a bad thing, that's beside the point. Mm -hmm. But it has continued to be on the edge of new technologies and trying new styles. I think that that's pretty fair to say that Walt would probably be pretty excited about that idea too.
0: Innovation changes. Oh yeah. And I think that the reason why... It was such a cultural phenomenon back in Walt's time. The ingenuity to create something that didn't exist was very prevalent within the company. And I think that that is just not enough anymore.
1: Yeah, people are a lot more jaded to new technologies and new ways of doing things because they're like, oh, okay, why haven't you done that yet?
0: And also, this is what we're doing this minute, but then we're going to get research less than two years from now that says something completely fucking different. Mm-hmm. So why jump on this bandwagon when there's going to be a whole new bandwagon jump on later?
1: And it's a lot of the humanity out, too. I think that the modern Disney movies, you can tell that there is less of a human element in them. Like, the characters definitely look less humanistic. And they've continued to look less humanistic from the Cinderella days to the Frozen days with their giant eyes and teeny tiny bodies
0: which I think is also a product of the John Lasseter effect, where he was more interested in creating IPs that they could merchandise and sequelize. Mm -hmm. The company has been around since the 20s, but they've been doing feature-length movies since 1938. And their first sequel to any of their movies in the animated spectrum was in 1990. Like, what does that tell you? That
1: they're starting to run out of ideas.
0: (laughs) But then now we have Toy Story 2, 3, Cars 2, 3, we have Frozen 2, we have Ralph Breaks the Internet, Wreck-It Ralph 2, like we have so many sequels. Mm -hmm.
1: Which is just a problem in modern cinema, I'd say, in general. That's part of a larger conversation. They just keep recycling the same thing.
0: And that's why I'm excited about this new era with the new heads of animation at both Pixar and Disney Animation because their statement has been that we're going to give individuals more power to create their own personal vision and not worry so much about whether this is franchisable.
1: So they want to return more to the roots. Exactly. Which should be really interesting if that is actually how it goes.
0: What made the 90s both in TV animation. And, and film animation so important and so revolutionary was it gave it back to the artists. Like Nickelodeon recognized that if they gave someone that they had confidence in the reins to produce their own material and take responsibility for that material and the team of people that they had working for them that they were going to get a better product out Yeah,
1: because they're putting more effort and personal stake into it because it is their baby, essentially.
0: And that harkens back to Walt Disney. Yeah.
1: It struck me back during his time when something would say, Walt Disney presents, it was literally the Mm -hmm. man that you see standing here, he is presenting this specific thing as opposed to now, this company that bears my name is taking personal responsibility for this. Like there is no personal responsibility. It's just a vague idea of some building somewhere as opposed to a human being saying, I personally am backing this. I personally endorse what you were about to see.
0: I think that that's something that we need to see a lot more of, and I hope that we do, not even just within the Disney company, but just in general. We need to see these creators take control of their art form. And care. And not feel pressured to create something that's so watered down and so generic that anybody could have put their name on it.
1: And I think that that also plays into, like, I love the dogs. When you see Wes Anderson presents, you know what you're getting into. And you know that his, especially with his animation, like it's going to be something very specific and because you trust the person even if the movie looks really weird you're probably gonna go and see it because you're like well this guy has consistently produced things that i like and by letting artists take control like that you're giving them a chance to say i love this thing come and love this thing with
0: me and i really do think that we're trending towards that
1: assuming that that is a thing that disney is willing to put their money where their mouth is, Mm -hmm. that could be the thing that they need right now to really bring them back and not just... Here's another Frozen movie, Josh Gadier. <laughs> <laughs> or here's another live action movie of one of our animated movies that no one really likes.
0: Uh-huh.
1: So having said all of that, I think I'm definitely going to have a different perspective going into these movies, especially some of the early ones. Mm-hmm. And what we're going to do is we're going to watch all of these movies. We're going to like record a little bit on each movie, and then we're going to release each of those little snippets as part of an episode for each era and do you want to talk a little bit about how you broke down what and what they can expect from us
0: well I mean there already kind of exists a breakdown of the different Disney eras this was not thought up by me the community has decided that this is how it should be broken down so
1: we're not watching any Pixar movies no it's only going to be
0: it's the Disney animated studio canon okay so we have the golden age which is 37 to 42 and then we have the silver age which is 50 to 67 so cinderella to jungle book so that's the end of the walt disney era then the bronze age which is also called the dark age which i don't like to call it that because most of these movies are some of my favorite 1970 to 88 starting with the aristocats Okay. Ending with Oliver and Company. And then we have the Renaissance, which is 89 to 99, from Little Mermaid to Tarzan. Then we have post-Renaissance, 2000 to 2007. Then we have the Revival Era. So 2008, I would say to the present.
1: I think it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm looking forward to watching a lot of these movies that I haven't seen in a very, very long time. Like a lot of them, especially at the beginning, I, I was never really a big fan of. And I'm curious to see now... If my perspective will have changed as an adult, if I respect them or if I like them in a different way. I'm really looking forward to seeing Snow White MSA Mm -hmm. after seeing that documentary.
0: It's been a while for me. The last time that I spent any amount of particular time with them was during my high school years. And I think that by me taking the time to revisit these, it reminded me why these movies are so important, not only to children everywhere, but to me.
1: I know I had one of those moments when I went back and re-watched, I think it was Hunchback for the first time, and I really sat down and I started thinking about watching these movies as a kid and realized how much of an impact they had on me. It kind of gets inside your head in a way that you don't realize at the time, but the stories that I watched when I was a kid definitely influenced things that I like to read and things that I care about now. Like I said, I think that... Disney music was one of the bigger influences on my finding theater. Without that Disney music, that particular sound, there was something about that that just called to me and filled a spot in me that I really desperately needed. I think that Disney influences people whether or not they
0: realize it. It helped me realize that I could find a way to reconcile my past with my present and learn about the way that I was shaped and changed by the media that I was initially influenced by. Mm -hmm. Just the way that Walt Disney was influenced by the era that he grew up in and what he wished it was and what he wanted people to remember most about it. Mm -hmm. So even at his most discriminatory, like you showed me a clip from that documentary where he brought all his animators in and told them to stop Worrying about what their pay grade was that he would award them merit
1: based on how much effort they were putting into things that was right before the strike
0: and even though that was taken rightfully so as a native I don't think that he meant to be an asshole right I think that he was just like where I come from the time that I was born in you show up you do your work and you thrive based on your personal work ethic and your personal merit.
1: And it's interesting that he he so desperately wanted people to see him as as a father and he wanted to create this family, but at the same time he recognized how hard he needed to drive people mm-hmm. to make what he needed happen happen. He was at the same time the severe taskmaster. And also this really sweet man. But there was a guy in the documentary who had a quote that I wrote down. Nobody does stuff on the scale that he did as a good-natured sweetheart of a guy. He was a hard-driving guy, and I don't think he ever resolved that conflict. And I think that that's pretty telling, that he wanted to be the persona that he had created for everyone.
0: And he wanted everybody to be the best that they could be. But it was all ultimately under his... Control.
1: Yeah, as long as it was by his definition of the best that they could be. Whether or not it was their best was inconsequential. It had to be not their best, but his best.
0: Mm -hmm. He needed to be confident and secure that they were going to give him the work that he would give himself if he was the one that was doing the work.
1: Which is also interesting because he wasn't that good of an animator. No, he wasn't. But he had a vision for things that he just couldn't practically translate it was a biographer i believe that used the phrase intellectual overseer Mm -hmm. which i think is a really great way of putting what he became he rather than being the one who does the work he became the one who was like quality control over Mm -hmm. the work while he had a vision he just couldn't do it by himself which was probably really frustrating to him oh i'm sure it was that, that he wasn't able to give this level of perfection that he required and that he saw in his head. Which is probably one of the reasons that it drove him
0: so crazy. And why he worked people so hard.
1: Because he wanted them to see the exact vision that he saw, but he couldn't make them see it. But he wanted everyone to care the same amount that he did. And
0: I think that that is both a positive and a negative. Yeah, it's
1: a little bit sad Yeah, that he wasn't able to do it himself. Also, you know, control freak. <laughs> like, wow. <laughs>
0: And they wonder why people still ask at the front gates, I know that you guys control the weather.
1: But seriously, if he was still alive, he probably would have found a way yeah, to control sure. the weather in the park. Mm-hmm. I really believe that he, he would have been like, all right, we're going to build a bubble.
0: Yep. Like, he mm-hmm. would have been that guy. He invented the idea of a backstage for theme amusement park performers. He hated the fact that you could see performers getting ready at the circus and at the fair mm-hmm. he wanted to maintain the illusion that mickey mouse is actually mickey mouse so if mm-hmm. you're standing in front of mickey mouse you're standing in front of mickey fucking mouse which is why
1: everything is so pristine everyone learns how to sign the exact same signature mm-hmm. and everyone has like makeup standards and all of these little tiny details that go yeah. into keeping the experience as magical and
0: as complete
1: as complete as possible which again i think that he definitely would have approved of
0: and i mean whether or not you agree with his business practices whether or not you agree with the company's business practices
1: well just because he was a real human being who was not the persona that he projected who was a real complete human being with flaws and with problems and with sorrows that he had to work through doesn't make what he did any less amazing or impressive or magical. Like, he created something that no one else had been able to do and no one else has really done since. Everything that he did started everything else that's happening now. He created this idea of marketing the hell out of everything. He created multiple, like, world crazes in Davy Crockett and Mickey Mouse. Like, he just, he kept creating these insane things that somehow worked. Whether or not you agree with his politics doesn't matter when it comes down to the legacy that he he left.
0: And they're still on top. They they, are still on top. They are one of the biggest media conglomerates this world has ever fucking seen and probably ever will see. And
1: that's scary at sometimes. It's a
0: testament to him that the ideas that he put in place were so good and so universal that
1: create a springboard to do even bigger and crazier things
0: almost a hundred years later and that's not a story you're gonna see anytime soon I
1: don't think that that can happen again I really don't think that that can happen again like I said before he was he was uniquely placed in time to be able to do what he did
0: that was his gift.
1: That was his gift. I think that that was a uh, a good amount of uh, both criticism and cooing.
0: And a good prelude to the month-long journey we're about to embark upon. The years-long journey. At some point, I'd like to do Pixar, and I'd love to do Don Bluth. And... We
1: really need to do some Don Bluth.
0: But I think that this is probably a good starting point, because, I mean, this is where it all started to begin with. Yeah. So you can't really talk about Don Bluth, and you can't really talk about any other major animation studio or major animation guru well i mean
1: don bluth was one of he was in the line of the many amazing animators who got screwed over by disney right Mm -hmm. so we can't even begin to talk about him without talking about the company that screwed him over to begin with
0: but i think that it's important that each era gets its own due i think that you'll get a, a much more complete understanding at least from us i'm not sure if we're going to be the most accurate historical like interpreters here but if nothing else give you a feel for what these movies mean to people
1: and my plan was also to make sure that we keep the movies in context of the era that they came out of and to remember when they came out and what the social temperature was why were these movies important for that time
0: and one of my favorite things is the impetus behind the idea of the 70,000 possible movie ideas that this man had why these were the ones that stuck it through to the ending Mm -hmm. i think it's extremely telling that not only did they create a brand and an ideal but also the people that work for them know each other like they created a community they
1: definitely did
0: and not even just out in the world but within their sphere like here recently jim cummings who i follow on twitter he just posted a picture that he took with Catherine beaumont who was the character. voice actress and character model for alice and wendy at like a red carpet event
1: they, they have a, a bond for having done it and even um ariel jacobs who's currently playing jasmine on Broadway. She was also part of the original touring production of High School Musical, playing Gabrielle. They just went to Disney World, I think. She and her brother, who played the original Aladdin, and did like a concert. Mm -hmm. And I think they also went on a Disney cruise and did a concert too. And she was talking about how being drawn in by Disney became this opportunity that sent her to Australia, that sent her on cruises, that launched her into her business by turning her into a Disney princess. And that's something that you just, you can't lose
0: that. So it's going to be an interesting undertaking. I think that we're going to have a lot to say. I
1: think that we're going to have fun with this. And if nothing else, then we just get to spend a day a week watching a lot of Disney movies, which how bad could that be?
0: All right, guys. Thanks for listening. Once again, we have a Twitter at idealist underscore the, and we look forward to sharing our thoughts and feelings A lot of feelings.
1: Lots of feelings.
0: (laughs) On these Disney movies. We're going to go ahead and wrap it up. And we will see you in a couple of weeks to begin the journey.